Well, chapter 23 of Lawful Oaths and Vows. Has anybody, let, anybody read through this whole chapter? Just to kind of think through it? Headache suddenly. Um, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read through it. And we'll read through it together here out loud. And then I'll do my best to unpack what I've, what I, best I can. And maybe y'all can help me with it. A lawful oath is a part of religious worship, wherein the person swearing in truth, righteousness, and judgment solemnly calls God to witness what he swears and to judge him according to the truth of the falsehood thereof. Let me, um, give me just a second. I forgot that I brought this book tonight. <laughs> and I know that's probably different than what y'all are looking at. Let's try. Let me get this one out. I gotta figure out how to use this. Hold on. That was way different, wasn't it? Let's try it again. A lawful oath is an element of religious worship in which a person swearing in truth, righteousness, and judgment solemnly calls God to witness what is sworn and to judge the one swearing according to the truth or falsity of it. People should swear by the name of God alone and only with the utmost holy fear and reverence. Therefore, to swear an empty or ill-advised oath by that glorious and awe-inspiring name or to swear at all by anything else is sinful and to be abhorred. Yet in weighty and significant matters, an oath is authorized by the word of God to confirm truth and end all conflict. So a lawful oath should be taken when it is required by legitimate authority in such circumstances. Whoever takes an oath authorized by the word of God should consider with due gravity the seriousness of such a weighty act and to affirm nothing in it except what one knows to be true. For the Lord is provoked by ill-advised false and empty oaths, and because of them this land mourns. That's kind of a direct quote, I think, from that Jeremiah passage. An oath is to be expressed in the plain and ordinary meaning of the words without any ambiguity or mental reservation. Now, this is something different, but, but much like an oath. A vow must not be made to any creature but to God alone. Vows should be made and performed with the most conscientious care, conscientious care and faithfulness. However, Roman Catholic monastical vows or perpetual single life Professed poverty and obedience to monastic rules are by no means steps to higher perfection. Instead, they are superstitious and sinful snares in which Christians may not entangle themselves. Now, that last part of that last uh, section, it's no secret what they're talking about and against, what they're against. You know, this is kind of uh, Martin Luther's deal. Martin Luther had sworn all these monastical um, vows and then repented of them because he realized they were sinful and that wasn't God's will for his life and then of course he got married and uh, he wasn't a monk anymore and um, thankful for that just at the surface level uh, give you a difference of definition for what is an oath and what is a vow because obviously the most of this takes up uh, the most of this chapter is dealing with oath, uh, with oaths, but the last chapter is a vow. A vow 
is a solemn promise made to the Lord. It said that in there. It's pretty easy, right? We're familiar probably more with vows because we've all, some of us, have made uh, marital vows. Um, a vow is just a, that's what it said, it's a promise to the Lord, right? And, and, and I'll tell you one thing that this chapter has helped me with, to think through. I mean, I've done a lot of weddings. And I, one of the things I do at weddings is I, I say we're gathered here before God as witnesses, which is not unusual. And I encourage people, you're here because you matter to the people getting married. You're, at, you're here to be a witness. So that means you're responsible to encourage these people to stay married, um, help them any way we can to keep them married. We're, here, we're not just here for the food. You know, we're here as witnesses. But I haven't ever stopped and said, but your vows are not to each other or to us. Your vows are to the Lord. I've never even thought, you know, I thought I made vows to my wife. I thought I said I do to her. But, you know, if you think about it, and especially in this context, and the reality is if I make a vow, now I covenanted with my wife, but my promise was to God. I will do these things, and I made a solemn vow to the Lord. And so that's a pretty serious thing. But anyways, it, it says here the difference between a, a vow and an oath. The vow is a solemn promise made to the Lord. Oaths are solemn promises made before the Lord, but to men. And the, So the purpose of an oath is confirmation. In other words, I'm, I, I would swear an oath to you, and as it said in one place in there, to settle arguments, I should, as a Christian, be able to say, well, the Lord is my witness, I did not... I did not steal. I did not lie. You know, something like that. Or I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. That means I should tell the truth after that. That should settle the argument of whether or not this is a, li a liable witness or a credible witness. Um, but, of course, we know we see lots of people do that and then uh, steadily perjure. Um, we... we, we this fall, we'll hear a lot of, I'm going to, from now to this fall, I will do this. Yeah, I get in office, I solemnly vow, even though they don't use those words, uh, I promise you I will do this. And then they might promise something totally opposite of that the very next time they're on TV or whatever. We, 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 I think this chapter is so weird because we're not used to, we don't take oaths and even vows as seriously as people used to. And even the vows, as I mentioned earlier, wedding vows um, are not really taken that seriously anymore. And so, um, anyways, so the difference, an oath is a confirmation that you make before the Lord to men. Um, and the purpose of it is to as a confirmation. The purpose of a vow is a commitment. So, like I said, when we vow to do something to God, we are making a commitment. Um, in, in some ways, when we ask when people join the church and we, uh, and I, I forgot to do this the last couple of times, but when we read our church covenant, we're, we're all vowing that we're going to, you know, with everything we can, we're going to keep this. And we're not really vowing to each other. We're vowing to the Lord. I'm going to be a faithful member of the church of the living God and, and try to uh, be my best, do my best, to use my gifts to help the church prosper and, and be blessed. So, to try to, again, um, let you know why this was in here, 
I mean, that last section, obvious. Um, where did I go? Um, let me get back to where I was at. One of the, if you go back, you, I think in the beginning of this, I'm not sure I've talked much to you about it, but I think in the beginning when Jonathan started, maybe he talked a lot about the fact that um, there is, you know, the Presbyterians have their confession, the Westminster Confession. And there was also a Savoy Confession, which was the Congregational, Reformed Congregationalists. And so we all sort of barred from each other, right? One of the things the Baptists were really doing was they wanted to align themselves with the Reformed movement, but they also wanted to show the distinctions from the other people, right? I mean, we're Reformed, but we don't baptize infants, you know, um, and we're reformed, but we may see um, some areas of certain things we do differently than our reformed brethren, right? And so, and this is one of those areas, the Westminster Confession is, is a lot more harsh in this chapter about oaths, especially in vows, because they were being critical of, have you heard of a group called the Anabaptists? So Anabaptists, Quakers, there's some others. If you if you were familiar with this time period, I think the Hussites, and there was a, another group or two that I can't remember their names. They were very anti, like would refuse to go to court and testify, even if they were forced to, or even if they were going to be put in jail if they didn't. And so they would say, we don't believe in oaths and vows. We're not going to do it. In, in fact, if you go back and read a lot of the history uh, of the period, unfortunately, they suffered in a lot of ways because of this. And they would just allow themselves to be persecuted and arrested and so forth instead of, you know, swearing before court and testifying and so forth. And they thought that was being biblical, and we'll see why, because specifically they took Jesus' words um, in Matthew chapter 5 and James who quotes Jesus, and they took those words uh, face value without a systematic theology and thought Jesus said don't swear an oath so we're not going to ever swear an oath. And so the Westminster flat out said if you refuse to take an oath then you're living in sin. I mean, you're, that's sinful. You can't refuse to take one. We kind of see the Baptists uh, made it a little softer and just pointed out, hey, a lawful oath is a part of religious worship, not church service worship, but just personal worship before the Lord to be able to, do, uh, to, be able to swear an oath. And um, they kind of they put it in a positive light rather than a negative, where the Westminster said, if you refuse to do this, you're just flat sinning. And so one way that, um, I don't remember if it was uh, Waldron or Renahan put it, the Baptists understood the practical side of why they didn't want to get involved in these kind of things because they were pacifists, right? They didn't want to get involved in war. They didn't want to get involved with, um, with uh, politics at all. And there was, so the Baptists understood their right and desire to say, we're not getting entangled in the world stuff. But the Baptists also recognized that their reasoning 
was a faulty theology, so they wouldn't support that. I don't know if that is even helpful, but trying to read through all this stuff and figure out why is this in here? <laughs> you know, because, um, but, and, and even the language of it makes it sound like, what, what are they saying? How's this part of worship? And I think, it, again, if you go back to the last chapter, which is about worship, what they mean is in a personal way for you to speak the truth and tell the truth, and especially if you're going to call God in as your witness, then uh, in a way, if you're invoking the name of God, then that is, that, that's, a, that's a part of, that's a worshipful thing to do. You are saying, this is true, and, and God will confirm it, and God and his word will confirm it, whatever it is. And so that's why that's, uh, that possibly that term worship is there. Um, if we go through and look, uh, Waldron pointed these things out, and I'm just going to share them with you because I think it's important. We'll talk about the fact that oaths are biblical, and then we'll look at the we'll look at the verses that were taken out of context and used by the Anabaptists and so forth, and uh, and even a lot of people today still say, "Well, Jesus said, don't swear." So if you swear an oath, you're sinning, right? Matthew chapter five, but. Here's some following. Here's some scriptural arguments that prove that Christians can take oaths and vows. That's not wrong. There's a lot of people still today that, again, based on Matthew five and James five, I think it is, um, we don't even do marriage vows, right? There's a lot of people even in this country that think you shouldn't do oaths and vows, not even marriage vows. You know, God, you you can, um, especially to make it legal with the state because people are saying it's not state's business whether I'm married or not, you know, that kind of stuff. So I would encourage you not to do that because it would be better, better for you to <laughs> be better for you to do that. Um, all right, here's one. Um, the command to swear, the, the command not to swear vainly or falsely in God's name assumes that it is lawful. Exodus 27, right? The, um, is that the third commandment? Shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain and, and swear against. I, I don't remember. Uh, let's look at it and see what it says here. Exodus 27. Uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In other words, this is a. We tend to think taking on the name of the Lord in vain is just, you know, saying God with a cuss word after it. But to 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 take His name in vain is to is to really to swear, use His name to swear and to call God as witness for something that's not true, right? In other words, I, I remember I, I, when I preached through Ten Commandments years ago, I learned that if you claim that you're one way that taking the name of the Lord in vain and swearing falsely is to say that you're a Christian, but there's nothing in your life that testifies to, the, to that truth. So in a way, you're saying, I, I swear to God that he has saved me, but yet there's nothing in my life that testifies to that. And so they're saying the command to swear, the command of God to not swear means that in, in reciprocal or reciprocated in that it is okay to swear in his name if you swear correctly. 
right? Another thing that I learned in doing the Ten Commandments is every commandment uh, automatically, uh, Calvin, I think, was one of the first ones to point this out. Every command comes with it the opposite command. So you shall not commit adultery means you should be faithful, right? God doesn't have to say that. He said don't do this so the other one is assumed to be true. You shall not kill. You shall support life, right? So there's, that's the arguments being made here. Since you, since the Bible says you, you um, do not take the name of the Lord in vain, then in the opposite hand, it is okay to swear by his name with something that's true. Just make sure it's true, okay? Uh, also, the command to swear only in God's name assumes its lawfulness. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, and chapter 10, verse 20. The first one, Exodus 27. This one was Deuteronomy uh, 6, 13. It says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear, and him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Uh, in 1020. A third example is that God himself indicates the lawfulness of swearing. And this is in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 6, beginning in verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is, fi is final confirmation. So you see that was in the language of one of them paragraphs. Final confirmation from the people of God should be um, swearing something to be true by their Lord and God. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, I went way further than 13, who, uh, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to our hope uh, set before us. I just think it's all, uh, interesting to see that our salvation and the hope of our salvation is rooted in uh, God swearing an oath by himself. There's nothing greater than God, and he swore to himself that, that's where our, our hope is rooted, that God won't lie, and uh, there's nothing greater than himself, and he swore by it. Another example, there's a lot of Old Testament saints that indicated the lawfulness of oaths. Uh, you have Abraham in Genesis 24. You have Jacob in 20, uh, Genesis 27. Joseph, Elijah. These are things you could look up and see. Nehemiah, Ezra, all these people in the Old Testament um, made oaths. A fifth reason, the law of Moses required oaths in certain situations. Numbers 5 is an example of that. Numbers 5 and 19. The prophets' predictions indicate their lawfulness. Isaiah, for example, in four, chapter 45 and possibly chapter 65, he's prophesying about the days of the Messiah. And he says in there, I don't remember exactly, but basically they will swear oaths. Um, I'm trying to get through this so we can talk a little bit more about it. Give you these examples so you can look at them when you get a chance. Matthew chapter 26, 
Christ indicates the lawfulness of oaths. Matthew 26, verses 62 through 64. Go all the way down here and find it. Uh, 62. And the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Have you no answer? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent until the high priest said, I adjure you by the living God to tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Then Jesus said, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power coming on the clouds of heaven. And of course, what he did was testified he is the Son of God. And of course, at that point, the high priest tore his robes and said he's uttered blasphemy. It's crazy that people think that Jesus never claimed to be God, but you know, sure did make the people that sure did make the people around him very angry at the things that he said. But that was a interesting place that Jesus acknowledged. I mean, it was a very good place for Jesus to say, "Don't swear by the name of God; that's sinful." But he did it. Um, uh, let's see what else. And finally, Paul's example indicates their lawfulness. I don't know if y'all remember this. I'm sure you probably don't. But back, I think, uh, the first week I started Romans, chapter 1, um, verse 9, I, I actually pointed this out, um, that there in chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. That's swearing an oath. That's the language. That it, we don't, you know, he didn't say I... I swear an oath, but that's the language that he uses there. For God is my witness. I mean, you see that he's calling God, he's calling the reputation of God down upon his own words. Um, so, all that just to show that the Bible does not condemn men swearing oaths in using this. Now, again, I don't know we just don't do this very much. I guess maybe the closest thing we would get to this is testifying about the word of God. I can, I can assure you, I can promise you that this is true because the Bible says it, right? I'm kind of invoking the word is God, right? I don't know if that's accurate, but that's the only thing. I, I mean, I, don't, I try not to go around a lot saying, I swear to God that this, you know, if we hear that, we're kind of like, we've been told that's, that's, and usually, let's be honest, most time we hear people saying that, we know that they shouldn't be saying that because they're not meaning either the same God we know or they don't know much about God and so forth, right? Um, so, you know, I, I'm not, this chapter is here for a reason, and especially in this day, in their day and time, it was important. But I do think, again, it is because there are people that still will say, um, I'm not going to testify in court. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to uh, take vows and oaths because, excuse me, let's just look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 to 37. Jesus, now remember, he's speaking to the Pharisees. And he says, Again, you've heard it said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn, which is true. Those are oaths. That's what we just talked about. If you're going to swear it, you better do it. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. 
Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And then if you look real quick at James 5, uh, 12, you'll see that basically James is just quoting that. Uh, James 5, 12. God, these little bit numbers. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. James is basically quoting the Lord there in Matthew 5. So you can see if people only read Matthew 5 and James uh, 5, they'll say, well, don't be swearing. If you swear, it's sinful. You shouldn't be taking oaths. Don't be making vows. But if you do a systematic theology, you see that there are, other, are times. And there's other times, actually, that's not even mentioned there in the New Testament writings, especially with Paul, where he kind of uses that language of, you know, so help me. By the, by the name of the Lord, this is what I'm saying is true. The Pharisees, like they did so well, they took everything they could and figured out, how could I get away with, what's the, what, what could I get away with in this? So they took swearing oaths, and they knew if they swore by the name of God and broke it, that wouldn't, I mean, they knew, they knew the Old Testament. They knew that was sinful. But maybe if they swore by the temple or by heaven or they used a, a euphemism sort of, you know, or swear by my own head, whatever it was Jesus, uh, James said there, Jesus said, then I could probably back out of that one. I don't have to keep that. That's kind of what the, the understanding is. They had written a whole book, in fact, about how to swear oaths that you didn't have to keep. I mean, that, that's Pharisees, right? And so when Jesus comes to them and says this in Matthew 5, he's like, hey, you know what? I'd be better off to just let you yes be yes and you no know, be no. Because already nobody believes you're swearing off this and that. Nobody believes what you're saying anyways. Because that, that's supposed to be a way to testify to the truth. If you're, if you're, making, if you're swearing oaths, it's supposed to be a way to testify to the truth but yet you've turned it into something else. And so a lot of people just believe that that's what, why Jesus said this. And, of course, James just quoted what he had heard the Lord say at some point. And it, it kind of highlights the danger. Again, I don't know, uh, you take this and apply it how, however you can, but it highlights the danger of not doing uh, systematic theology. In other words, you, you can't just read a verse and say, oh, look what Matthew 5 says, we can't swear oaths and vows. And not recognizing that other place in the Bible, it is giving them permission to do that and even instructing them to do it and not understanding what it was that Jesus was combating against with the Pharisees. One of Sproul's comments in his commentary on this is talking about back then common practice to invoke oaths just frivolously in order to say this is the last word, you know, to get the last word. Yeah. And he's saying that that's what Jesus basically was meaning was don't use an oath just as a frivolous way of saying, you know, mic drop. That's right. <laughs> that's it. It's, he says, how about you just make your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Yeah. That's the better way to do things. Absolutely which, you know, was hard for the Pharisees. 
Well, they couldn't do that. And um, I did think it was interesting that that passage um, from Matthew 26 that it seemed like that, you know, it's almost like that was the the, the high priest couldn't get Jesus to say what they wanted him to say and get, get him to do what they wanted him to do. And so they, you know, they went to that one place where he, Jesus even, at, at that point, they said by the living God, so he spoke up. and I mean, not that he was lying. He certainly wasn't. He just wasn't saying anything. And so... Uh, Can you explain that a little bit more? Because I don't understand a little bit. <laughs> yes, like, 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 I know, like yeah. yes being yes and no being no. Can you... Oh, that part. Yeah, yeah. The yes well, means yes and no means no. Yeah. Part. Can you explain I, that a little bit? Well, I think uh, the best that I can understand that is... Be a person of truth. In other words, don't be somebody that says, yeah, or kind of, but then you can't be dependent on. Be the kind of person that if you say yes, that's what it means, right? Kind of like in, kind of like in parenting world. I can't tell my kids, this is not allowed. And then they break that l- rule when I say, well, okay, well, this one time it can be allowed. But the next time, because eventually my kids will be like, well, I mean, so what? You say don't do this. I don't. You, you said don't do that last time. I did it, and you didn't do anything. So in in adult world, I I think that's what Jesus was the point he was trying to make. You're the religious leaders. What you say ought to be. It ought to be what it is because what they were doing, they were swearing oaths and then breaking them. And so that's what. Yeah. I was thinking, I thought you meant the whole chat room. I've done the best I can. I mean, I don't even. I, I was like, man, all that. Huh? I was like, whew. Yeah. I might can answer that one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Whew. I mean, I've been looking at this chat room like several times today, I thought. We're just going to skip to the next one. Well, I'll come back to this one. We're going to read it. Gonna yeah. Read it. Just... When I was looking over this today, I was giving a little bit of I didn't have to conduct this. Well, I, you know, I apologize. That's probably.